LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. This is the Unseen Leadership Podcast, where we explore the unseen stories that shaped leaders into who they are today. For young leaders, it's often easy for us to want to surround ourselves with people who are just like us, who maybe are a little bit, little bit younger, who think like we, like we think. And while there is a time and place for that, don't neglect spending time with those who are not like you, who are, um, who are older, um, because that relationship can go a long way in your ability to lead whatever group that you're trying to lead. Welcome to the Unseen Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Chandler Vinoy. Here as always with my co-host, Josh Hunter. Josh, who do we have with us today? Dude, we got Art Rayner with us today. Legend. So happy to have him with us today. He is the Vice President for Institutional Advancement at the SEBTS and author of The Money Challenge. And he has also released this summer a series of children's books called The Secret Slide Money Club. Art, happy to have you on today, man. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, guys. Man, so tell us a little bit about this children's series. <laughs> How in the world uh, are you able to teach kids about money through these children books? It sounds awesome. Well, it, it was an incredible um, and fun journey to uh, to put those books together. Yeah, it, admittedly, I, I had a lot of motivation um, in my own house. So I have three young boys, ages eight, five, and three, and. I talk about money a lot and I want to not just help adults, but also help, help kids and help um, them understand that there is a design that God has a design for money that's found in the Bible. And, and so, yeah, I, I have my own kids running around and <laughs> um, I knew that I wanted to not just help them, but also help parents um, get the money conversation going in the house because kids can understand the basic principles of finances in the way that the Bible teaches it from a very young age. And, and so we tried to craft um, books that would be fun, adventurous. These they're a little, little crazy. <laughs> they're all fiction. And, and so I wanted to, the kids to be able to read the books and then, or have their parents read them to them and walk away learning God's design for, for, for money. So uh, that was the, the emphasis or the, the motivation behind the book. Well, that sounds really fun. I, I'm sure it was fun writing them as well and trying to take concepts of money and put them in terms that, you know, kids can learn. So I bet that was also a tough experience, but a rewarding one. So once it again, it was, it was, it was, it, it was incredibly, um, it was actually incredibly challenging when you're trying to get the whittle down these concepts to a very basic level uh, that any you know, five, six, seven, eight year old can can't understand. Yeah. Um, but I'm already been very encouraged by the feedback that, that the parents have been sending me. Uh, the kids seem to be enjoying it. And then of course, walking away, understanding some concepts about, about money. That's awesome. Well, Art, we once again, we're excited to have you on the podcast today and hear about your journey. So let's go ahead and hop into the questions here. And the first one is this, can you just walk us through a quick overview of the different leadership roles that you've been in over the years uh, that led you to where you are at Southeastern right now? Yeah, absolutely. So, so, so coming out of college, I majored in finance and marketing and my goal was to be a certified financial planner. So a CFP and, and so out of college, I dove into the banking industry, just wanting to learn the ins and outs of that, of that industry. Started working for Wells Fargo, 
um, right out of college. And while I was working for them, I did night classes to get my MBA, Master's of Business Administration. And then went to a, a few other banks after that, eventually found my way uh, down in South Florida um, in an area called Weston, which is right east, I'm sorry, right west of, of Fort Lauderdale. Okay. I was working for a bank that was then called Wachovia. And I admittedly, after being a, there down there for about a year working with the bank, I just grew unsettled. And God started started working on me. So earlier on, I had a, a conversation with my dad. And it was a very pivotal conversation for, uh, for me. I was trying to determine whether I should pursue my MBA or should I do something like a master's of divinity and go to go to seminary, whether I should go into full-time vocational ministry or into the, uh, into the business world. And he asked me a, a very important and wise question. It was, it was this, he said, or he asked, do you feel called? Do you feel called to go into full-time ministry? And my response was, well, I, I'm just not sure. I don't know. And he said, well, my recommendation is that if you don't feel called, if you don't feel compelled to go into full-time vocational ministry, then, then don't do it. And he gave his reason. He said, some of the most miserable people that I know are those that go into full-time ministry, but never really felt the calling on their lives. They did it just because they thought it was the thing to do. The thing that, you know, really good Christians do. If you're, if you're a top level Christian, you go into full-time ministry. And he said, this obviously just not the, not the case. And, and so if you don't feel compelled to full-time ministry in that, in that capacity, then, then don't do it. And, and so I didn't, that's why I ended up doing my MBA and, and going into banking and not going into full-time ministry. Well, after being in, South Florida for about, about a year, once again, grew very unsettled. I knew that God was doing something in my, in my life, the career path that I thought that I wanted to, uh, to embark on. It just, I, I lost the desire. I lost the, the, the motivation. And I would go home to my wife, Sarah, and talk to her about it. And of course she would ask, well, what do you, what do you want to do? And my response was, I, I don't know. I just know that there's there's something else for me. And then I received a phone call one early morning uh, before I went into the office. And it was from a guy named Jimmy Garagans. He was the pastor at what was then called First Baptist Church of West Palm Beach. He'd been down there for about, about 30 days. And I knew him from Kentucky, which is where I had um, come from prior um, to moving to South Florida. And he said, hey, hey, Art, I know you're down here. Look, I, j I just got down here. Here's the deal. This this church is in a little bit, a um, little bit of a financial mess right now. And here's the best sales pitch that I can that I can <laughs> give you. I I can't guarantee you that you're always going to get paid, but we're going to have a lot of fun trying to turn this thing around. Would love to have you come on, uh, <laughs> come on staff. And in God's weird way and how he, how he wired me, that was exactly what I, what I needed to, uh, needed to hear. I mean, it was, you could use the term calling. It was, it was definitely a light bulb moment where I knew, um, that that's what I was supposed to do. And I suddenly understood what my dad had referred to as calling. And, and so we, 
we jumped on, on, on board there. We uh, um, joined the staff of, once again, it was called First Baptist Church of West Palm Beach, now called Family Church. Hmm. And granted, it was a, it was a financial mess, um, made a lot of tough decisions early, early on. And um, that taught me a lot. So I, I guess say in terms of leadership, I dove into the uh, dove into the deep end quickly. <laughs> My second week on staff, I had to let go of thirteen mm-hmm. um, individuals. Wow. We had to cut about a little over a million dollars in our budget in the, in the first year, and just made some really difficult decisions that made me grow up quickly. I was twenty six at the at wow. the time, so I was pretty young yeah. to be to be doing all of this. Uh, in fact, a, a funny story. The head of the finance committee. So we had a we had a committee structure there, and um, he he met with me about a year later after I'd been on staff. And he goes, Art, when they brought you up on stage and introduced you to our to our church, my first thought was, and I, I looked. He goes, I looked at this twenty six year old and his his wife. My first thought was, we're done. <laughs> this is this is it we're going into bankruptcy. There's no way that, um, that this is going to turn out, turn it good with this young guy, um, heading up the, the financial and the business side of the side of the church. And he goes, I'm, I'm grateful that I was wrong. Um, <laughs> but needless to say, I, I, he was very happy to, with, with how everything had gone the decisions that were made, even the tough decisions. So I learned quickly, um, how to make tough decisions. Um, and, in a, in a leadership context. Yeah, that was 26 years old. That's, uh, that's incredibly young to have to let go of that many staff yeah, members. I can't tough. imagine. I, I relate a lot to what you're saying, Art. Um, when uh, Very, very brief story. When I was younger, uh, getting out of college, I thought I wanted to be a police officer, and I'm from Memphis, Tennessee, so being a cop in Memphis, not like the most attractive thing in the <laughs> world when you look at crime rates and uh, right. everything there. But I remember I had a conversation with my father-in-law, and he talked a lot about calling as well. And I wasn't smart enough to be a—was it CFP? Is that what you say you were trying to— Right, right. I wasn't smart enough. Yeah, I was homeschooled, so I couldn't. I didn't make that cut um, with the CFP. But I I was struggling with the same thing with ministry or do I do this? Do I do that? So can you tell a lot of young leaders listening right now? Can you tell them what were some of the steps that you went through to identify that calling and to probably wrestle with God a lot Mm. during that season of trying to figure out what was your calling and what was next for you? Yeah, that's a that's that's a great question. So I, I looked uh, to those who are around me, my, my wife, um, other leaders that were that were in my life, and I asked them if if they saw kind of what 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 I saw in my in my own life. Um, I had told them that I had was was unsettled, and that I felt like God had me on a on a different different path. So when when the opportunity presented itself to go into full-time ministry. And I felt that, and I just knew that God was calling me to it. I asked them if they, if they saw the same thing, like, if, is this what you see in, in my, in my own life? Do you feel like this is um, what you, where you see God leading me? And through their um, affirmation, um, it, it became very clear that I wasn't the only one that was sensing sensing this, that there were other people in my life that were very close to me that were, they're sensing the, the exact same thing. And, and so my, my wife included, she was, she was highly um, supportive of this. Now, re- remember, we were going into a role where um, the sales 
which was you may or may not get paid. And that was not a stretch. They had just missed two payrolls that, that summer. Yeah. And, and so she was, she was in school full time and she understood the, I guess say the risk involved in it, in it. And, and she was for it. And so it was consulting with those, those around me, putting it uh, before God and in prayer and then ultimately, you know, make, making the making the decision. That's very helpful. I know there's many listening who are probably trying to wrestle with where God's leading them. So those are very practical steps. Art, thanks for sharing that with us. So stepping in um, as a young leader, I'm sure there were some mistakes made along the journey. So what would you say was your biggest mistake getting started as a leader? Man, that's a that's a really good question. Yes, I've certainly made plenty of mistakes. <laughs> along the way. Um, not, I would say not focusing enough on the, on the, the relational aspect of, of leadership. Um, often you want to go in and make, just make big decisions, big changes. And, and sometimes you don't, because you did not build the relational piece, um, those types of decisions become Dif- more difficult to lead through. Hmm. Um, so if you can get people on, on board prior to announcing a, a big decision through the relationship building process, hmm. then it's going to help make any decisions that you, that you make um, often a, a little bit, just a little bit easier to, to implement because they know where you're coming from. They, they know that you have their best interest at, at heart and that you're not trying to maybe destroy something that they have built over time, or even say that what they were doing in the past was wrong. You're just trying to say that this is a new error and new decisions need to be, uh, a new direction needs to be um, Im- implemented. And so meeting with people, talking with them, getting, getting to know them, getting to know their, their, their kids um, so that there's a, a relational bridge that has been built that helps make this, that helps make the decisions that need to be implemented, implemented, um, a little bit easier. Yeah. I think that's a very wise piece of advice there. <laughs> of course, learning it through mistakes. Uh, we all have to learn through times where we didn't handle it the best way. Uh, hearing what you say there, there's a book, uh, you might've read it the first 90 days by Michael Watkins. And hey. one of, yes. one of the steps that he talks about is, is stakeholder connections, basically talking about that relational capital, building it with those who have, who have, um, you know, they're at stake, they're at the table. So can you, can you share, I mean, you're stepping in and I want to go back to when you stepped into, um, that the church that you were talking about in a financial kind of situation that you were coming into, to really create a solid foundation. There were some hard decisions to be made. Can you give some practical advice? Like, let's say you're stepping back in there, looking back on it with the mistakes you've made, what are some steps that you would take to create those type of connections? Who, who would you look out for, you know, a young leader who might be stepping into that type of role? Yeah. So uh, one of the, the mistakes that, that can be made for with, with young leaders is that they do not connect with some of the, some of the older leaders. And that actually is not a mistake that I, that I did. I was able to connect early on with some of the, the older um, leaders in the, in the church. And that, that helped me uh, tremendously um, because of my, because of my youth, I recognized the, the weaknesses that that can bring, or at least the, the perception that that can, that that can bring. And, and 
So I started trying to build relationships with, um, I guess you consider them senior citizens, um, but still very influential people in the, in the, in the church. And um, it was amazing. They became, and I remember uh, one gentleman specifically became um, one of my biggest fans and one of That's my awesome. greatest encouragers. And it was simply because I just spent time with him. Mm. And um, he was not a, he was not on staff. Um, so, but he was a, a significant influencer from the lay leadership position. And, and so for a young leaders, it's often easy for us to want to surround ourselves with people who are just like us, who maybe are a little bit, little bit younger, who think like we, like we think. Um, and while there is a time and place for that, um, don't neglect spending time with those who are not like you, who are, um, who are older, um, because that relationship can go a long way in your ability to lead whatever group that you're trying to lead. If you're in a church context, to, to lead uh, the, the the church well, and and so reach out to those who are once again not like you. I like that phrase. Reach out to those who are not like you. Step out of your comfort zone. Uh, spend time with those who who are not like you. That's that's great advice. Before we get to the next question, let's take a moment to hear from one of our sponsors. Every church must be equipped to respond well in the initial stages of learning about instances of sexual, physical, or emotional abuse. That is why the Southern Baptist Convention, Lifeway, and ERLC have partnered together to create Becoming a Church That Cares Well for the Abused. This training curriculum of a handbook and 13 videos brings together top experts from various fields to help volunteers and leaders understand and implement the best practices for handling the variety of abuse scenarios at church, school, or ministry. You can access this free training at churchcares.com. Once again, that is churchcares.com. Now, back to the podcast. All right, what book do you wish someone gave you when you were just starting to lead? That is such a, so that is a, that's a really good question. Um, I'd have to say leading change, you know, John Cotter. Yeah, yeah it's, it's great. A, somewhat of a, it's a, it's a classic, um, but it, but it helps you think through how to, how to implement change. And, um, and so, yeah, I, I wish that, uh, that I had that book at, at 26. I'm trying to remember if it was actually out when, when I was 20, <laughs> 26. So I'm not even sure if that was, that was an option. Um, but that book um, would have helped me significantly, um, and and some of the some of the decisions that we made with the with with the church, I would say would have you know followed that that particular model uh, that John Cotter presents. Um, but it's a it's a book that I recommend yeah. for any uh, any any young leader. I really recommend a lot of the the, the leadership classics uh, for for young leaders to um, help them often see the the foundation upon which, you know, a lot of this leadership thought, um, is, is built. Um, and, and that, that being one. Yeah, it's a, it's a great book. I read it a few years ago. And, um, really if, if you're listening right now, leading change is pretty self-explanatory leading through change. Everything's changing. Uh, art, someone you're related to used to say, if you don't change, you die, you know? And so, uh, <laughs> That's right. um, the, and change really is important. And I, I think one of my favorite or one of my least favorite concepts in that book when I read it was the average time it takes an organization to change is seven years. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot it longer than you hope for. Yeah, right. It was miserable when you read it, but the organization 
organization that I lead, Student Life Camp, we're on about year five of change. And so, like, I'm getting more excited because I'm like, okay. We're starting we're, to see it. We're starting to see it. It's about to pay off. But it really is a uh, great book. Too many leaders, uh, young leaders, give up way, way too soon uh, mm. when they're not gaining traction in year two and year three. Um, it really is year five, six, seven that you start to um, see the change that you wanted from, from, from day one. And so I just want to reiterate the point that you just made that change takes time. It does. And it, and it's an eight step process that Cotter lays yeah. out in the book. So That's you can't right. do eight steps in one year. It's going to take yeah. time. And fun fact, art, it was published in 2012, October of 2012. So is when it came out. So it wasn't even available. <laughs> there you go. I, I think so I, I blame, I blame John Cotter. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, it's the, we keep talking about this book, but I keep on thinking of different principles from it. Leading change does not just have to do with an organization, but as a leader, also your people. Sometimes your people take time to change. Um, and I go back to good to great principles and getting people either on the bus or on the right seat of the bus or off the bus, but all that takes time. Um, and, Eight principles, seven years. It all takes time and patience to to fall through with that. Yep, it's not That's a, absolutely right. It's not a microwave. Yep. So, Art, since you wrote the book, The Money Challenge, I want to change one of our questions that is focused on leadership to be more focused on finances, so that we can glean from your wisdom on this. What was your biggest misconception as a young man when it came to finances and money? The the the, the reason why. Um, I write about finances right now, whether it's the money challenge, the marriage challenge, which is a finance book for, for couples or the, the secret slide money club series, which of course is for, is for young readers. Um, that financial health is an end in and of itself. And that's something that I saw in my, in my own life and in the lives of others, even while I was on staff at, at church that, that for some reason, we think that getting out of debt um, is so, so that we can spend on, on whatever we, we want, um, that that's, that's the goal that we are supposed to pursue mm. with our finances. And when you read the Bible, it teaches something completely di different, that financial health, it, it does teach that financial health is a good thing, that we are to get out of debt, that we, we are to set aside money for the future to, to save. But the priority, the foundation for financial health remains the same, and that's to give generously. And so we are to do all of these things, get out of debt, set aside money for your emergency savings, set aside money for, for your retirement, so that then we can live and give generously. It's not so that then we can just spend on, on whatever, whatever we want, but we're part of advancing God's, God's kingdom. That's what we're to be about. And, and finances can be a, a very important piece of, of that, of our ability to be a part of God's mission, the, the, the great commission. And so um, we often miss that. And what happens when we go after the wrong goal, when we view financial health as a end in and of itself is that we just end up completely discontent. Um, I mean, we know that stuff doesn't, doesn't satisfy that. It just, it, it, we just continually chase more and more stuff. 
and it never really satisfies. And, and so when we make giving our priority, generosity, our priority, we start to follow God's design for, for money and for our own lives. And, and we experience greater, greater satisfaction. I mean, you talk to people who are, who are incredibly generous and it's amazing that they're at the same time, often incredibly happy. And you talk to those who are geared towards pursuing um, materialistic gains. And they often be, they're often incredibly, they might be incredibly financially healthy, but they're still incredibly miserable. Hmm. And, and so that's what I, that's what I saw in my own life early on. But I also saw that in the lives of others around me that, that even in the church, we had gotten somewhat off base with the, with the end. And we talked about getting out of debt, um, but not necessarily for the sake of living and giving generously and advancing God's, God's kingdom. That's great stuff, Art. And if you're listening to that and you're like, man, everything that he's saying resonating with me, Art, you have the Money Challenge podcast that they can, they can check out. And that's just very practical advice on there about your finances. So if you want to learn more yeah, on that, you can totally check it out there. Yeah, on, on the podcast, we simply just take people's questions and, and try to answer them. And um, of course, it's all founded on, 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 in biblical principles and guiding them to the point where they can hopefully live and give more generously. Sounds super helpful. Yep. I need to check that out. Art, can you, uh, can you name a person who's had a tremendous impact on you? Maybe a, maybe a mentor when you were a young leader and why did this, why did this person impact your life and, and how did they impact your life? God has, has blessed me, uh, to have been surrounded by, by good leaders. Um, starting with my, with my father. So Tom, Tom Rainer, um, he is continues to be a, a mentor in my in my own life, and watching him lead in such a godly manner, and understand why he's making the decisions that he's that he's that he's making, um, has had a profound influence on my own life. Making the difficult decisions um, that might not might not lead to everybody, you know, applauding, but doing it because it's just simply the, the right thing to do. Um, that has had a profound influence on, on my life. Uh, Jimmy Scroggins, I, I mentioned him, uh, the, the pastor that um, asked me to, to come on staff with, uh, with Family Church or what was First Baptist Church of West Palm Beach. He has been a, a tremendous influence on my life. And in his um, teach me how to lead through through crisis, um, being able to watch him um, has significantly um, helped me. And then right now, so I'm at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary in, in Wake Forest, and I get to be under the leadership of of Dr. Aiken and being able to watch him lead with transparency hmm. and just the utmost in integrity. I always say in our in our cabinet meetings or our top level meetings, there's times when I, I, I just wish people could listen in on the conversation so that they could hear the motivations behind the, the decisions and the integrity that, uh, that, that exist. And, and so, yeah, I, I feel very blessed right there. Those three, uh, those three men that have had a profound impact on, on my life and just being able to watch them lead and, glean from their, their experience and their, and their wisdom. 
I think it's so important, and I think you would agree, Art, as well, having a, a mentor, or we've mentioned pace setter before as a, as a term on here, somebody setting the pace for you in your life is so important. What would you say to a young leader that they feel like that I can't find an older woman to invest in me, or I can't find an older man to invest in me, I can't f- find somebody to mentor me or invest in me. What would you say to them to look for and how to be proactive in finding a mentor in their life? First of all, identify what you would like, who you'd like to be, um, mm. and who you would like to to emulate. And when you're trying to identify leaders that are that are in your in your in your life, um, start asking. Um, it, it's amazing that can what can happen when you ask somebody to to mentor you. Um, often you're not going to find somebody that will reach out to you and say, "Hey, let me mentor you." Mm. Um, if you really want to mentor it's going to, you're going to, you're going to be the one that has to, that has to reach out to, to them and get on their schedule. You're going to have to work hard at, at that. Um, I'd also encourage those who feel like they don't have anybody around them to, to read. I can't, I can't tell you how important it is for future leaders to dive into, into books and to, to study and to read about the the great leaders and those who, who they, they who they would like to like to emit, read their stuff. Um, so understand that if you want a mentor, it's often going to be on you mm. to take the steps to to, to get one. Um, that they are not going to necessarily tap you on the shoulder and say, "Hey, I I want to to teach you. I want to lead you. I want you to learn from me." Um, and so it takes, it takes work. So reach out to them and, and get on, get on their schedule. And you would be surprised with how many people would, will say, yes, many want to invest into the, into the younger generation. Um, but you have to pursue them. It's a good word. There might be people who are saying the opposite. I want to mentor someone, but I don't know who they are. So in the same way, initiate, and you may have no clue that God has placed that on their heart and it it could really work out in that way. Well, now we want to transition to the quick hitter questions. These are going to be short one minute answers. So we'll get started with this one. What is your ideal daily routine? What time do you wake up, get into the office, all that good stuff? Ideal routine. I'd I'd like to get up around 545. Um, that gives me a little bit of time, to, whether it's to be able to go work out or to be able to um, spend time in the in the word before the before the kids get up. I typically get to the uh, get to the office around eight thirty, and I immediately go to my go to my checklist, which I usually produce the the day before. So things that I need to do uh, for the for the day. And I start working toward uh, toward that end to accomplish those those items that are on the that are on the on, on the checklist. Um, I try to walk around to some degree um, around the, the different offices that I have um, responsibility over, and just to spend time with them, uh, spend time with the people in the office, so that they can know that uh, that I'm there for them, that I'm available, and that um, that if there's any immediate decisions that they need to be be made. We can talk. Um, so I, I like to spend time with those who are, are um, who are un, under me. And uh, then, of course, when I when I get home, I immediately want to set down my phone and spend time with the uh, with my kids. 
and and love on them, help help Sarah um, in any way uh, possible um, because she's usually exhausted by by, <laughs> by that time as well. And, and so I want to to help her out and then ultimately get the get the kids to to bed and then you know do it all over again. <laughs> I want to follow up on one one area. You said your checklist. What do you use to capture your to-do list? Is it, you know, analog writing it on a sheet of paper or is it your phone? What does that look like? So I've I've transitioned from new school to old school. So yeah. I used to use an app called Checklist and and I no longer do that. I actually have found myself preferring just to simply write it down. I have a, a note, um, a notepad on my desk. And, and so I, I just jot, jot down the list and I keep it there until the, till the next morning. I usually jot down a few items before I, before I leave, uh, that day so that I know where to, where to pick up. That's awesome. Yeah, I, keep, keeping a checklist on your phone. I, I used to do that too. And I stopped because I would just get distracted on my phone instead of <laughs> using the right. checklist. <laughs> that's great. What is your favorite personality test art? Wow. So the, the one that we've been using recently is the, the PI index. And, um, that one has, um, it, it seems to produce really good results, um, in that it shows how, um, different individuals relate to one another. So I want to know how, um, I relate to, let's say some of the directors that, uh, that, that work for me and, and how I can best uh, communicate to, to them and even how I can best coach to that, coach them. So it's the PI index, um, that I have found myself leaning toward, um, at, at this point. So is it basically like a dichotomy of personalities and how they interact with one another? Yes. Okay. Yes, exactly. You can look at your entire team and you can see how, how does our team work together? Where are we uh, deficient? And, mm, and so cool. I've, I've really enjoyed, uh, that, uh, that particular test. I might have to look that up. Yeah. So what is it revealed about you and how you interact with your team? Well, my, my personality, uh, or the, uh, the title that they, that they give me is a persuader. And, and so it, it's spot on. Uh, so I'm a little bit more on the extroverted, uh, side at the same time. I like to, to take risk, um, but not, uh, to the point that, um, it becomes unwise. Yeah. Um, so that, that comes out in my, my conversations with, uh, with those around me where I'm always encouraging them to take, you know, take a few risks. Well, if, if it doesn't turn out like we want it to, that's, that's okay. Um, we're never going to move forward if we don't try a few things. Yeah. And, and so I'm, I'm very comfortable with taking, taking risks. We have, sometimes they're successful. Sometimes they, they flop and always remind them of, of the ideas that I've had that we, <laughs> that we tried and failed so that they know that they have permission that I'm the chief, um, <laughs> failure, I guess you could say, uh, <laughs> failure. And, um, and so, yeah, we, we, they have permission to, to try new things and to, and to fail. I'll have to check that one out. What is an, an unusual habit that helps you in your leadership? an unusual habit that helps me in my, my, my <laughs> leadership. I think everybody answers the question exactly that way first. An unusual <laughs> <Yeah>. habit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and 
if you want to take time, we can always edit it, edit this dead yeah. space out. Yeah, I'm, so I'm, I'm trying to think what would be if there's if there's something that people say, man, art is really odd. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he does this. Like I want, I'd want a good one. Um, probably actually have to ask the people that are, that are around this. Like what, what's really strange about him? Um, we can always skip it if you want. That's a great question though. Um, <laughs> yeah, maybe we can go back, go back to it. Yeah. We can tell you that. Put some thought into it. Go for it. All right. On to the next one. What is your favorite app that you use on your phone? So I'm pretty boring. When it, when it comes to apps <laughs> now, um, I, I use my, my, uh, my email app, of course. I know that's, that's very boring and I apologize for, for that. <laughs> um, and then just the, the social media apps, uh, Twitter, Facebook, uh, a little bit on, on Instagram. Uh, I would say I'm primarily on, on Twitter. And so those are, those are the apps that I, that I use. I have some, some other apps on there, um, that are a little bit more exciting, but I honestly never, never touch them. So yeah, I'm, I'm pretty boring, uh, when it comes to pretty vanilla comes to, come to fun. Yeah. I, I really, you am. know what you need. Yep. There you That's go. right. What has been the best book that you've read in the past six months? Yeah, this is probably not going to surprise you. Um, uh, but I, I read a lot of finance books, a lot of books on, on money and, and so one of the, the books that I have loved is, is God and Money. And it's, it's, a, it's a book that's been out there for, for a little while. It's by a guy named Justin Cortinez and, or I guess guys uh, by the name of Justin Cortinez and Gregory Balmer. And they were two Harvard MBAs that um, were clearly on a very lucrative career track. And, and they were believers. And they started wondering, what do we do, should we do with our money? What does the Bible say that we should do with our, our money? And so they actually, they did a project at, at Harvard um, that helped answer that very question. What does the Bible say about, about money? And what I loved about this book is that they threw out what I refer to as the better question. And I think they may even refer to it as, as that as well. And often we ask, how much should we, should we give? Well, they flipped the question on it, on its head and they said, no, it's not how much you should give, but it's how much should you, should you keep? And they went through a process about how they determined how they, to, how they were going to essentially cap their, their lifestyle. And then anything beyond that, and then anything beyond that, they were going to, to, to give away. And so that, that better question has, has stuck with, with me. And um, it was just, it was a really well-written book. And I believe they actually have a new book that has, has recently come out. I have not read that yet, but I, I will. Um, but yeah, it's, it's God and Money by John Cortinez and, and Gregory Balmer. I, I highly recommend it. It's a, it's a good read. Great. Added it to the Goodreads. Want to read section. <laughs> Already done. What one sentence advice would you give someone going into a leadership position for the very first time? I'm going to use our, our house slogan. Um, so let me, let me explain that. So every morning I, I tell the boys, tell our boys um, that I love them that I'm proud of them and that I'm glad that they're my sons. I also tell them the same thing before, before we go to bed, before they go to bed. 
And every morning we have a, we have a huddle um, and we put our, we put our hands in and before we break, um, we all say, love God, love others. So love God, love others. And, and that applies to all areas of, of life. And, and it, it applies obviously to, to leadership. Um, love God first, make sure that, that he is the, the focal point of your, of your, of your leadership. And then love those that, uh, that you, that you, that you lead. Um, and in our area, um, they know those that are under me know that, um, I care about their care about their families. And, and that's because I, I, I love them. And so if there's a family, um, crisis that, that arises, if their kids are, kids are sick, um, they know that they can come to me and say, Hey, I have to, I have to take care of this. And my response is always the same family first. Hmm. And, and they go and take care of, of their, of their family. And that's because I love them. I love God. And I, and I have a genuine love for them. So if you let those two principles guide your leadership, um, it will go a, a long way and hopefully it'll also deepen your, your walk with the, with the Lord. That's great advice, Art. Thanks again for joining us on the podcast today and sharing about your leadership journey and your time as a young leader. And thank you for listening. We hope that it's been helpful. And if it has, head on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review so that other leaders like yourself can find the podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. See ya.